Uh, we're going to pray. I talked to Claire uh, this last week. I'm trying to put my week together here a minute. Hold on. I think it was uh, Friday. I talked to her Friday. She's recovering from her surgery, the valve surgery. Uh, the doctor says the valve is working great, but she still is struggling with high blood pressure. And so, um, But I think she can start having some visitors now. She said some of the neighbors are coming over and stuff. And so... Um, be very careful about calling her a whole bunch, but um, I mean, she's a social butterfly. Once that adrenaline drops, you know, you know, right? Um, so we're going to pray for her in just a minute, and then uh, we also have a, the muses have a grandson, Gunner, Gunner, Gunner Lee, right? You got to do that. There you go, Moose. There you go, Moose, right? Okay. All right. So let's pray. Well, thank you so much for your kindness to us. Thank you for this last week. Thank you for the bit of rain we received. Something received buckets full and some of us received thimbles full but thank you for what we did receive we pray that you would continue to provide what we need Lord we are uh, grateful that Claire is recovering and uh, we pray that she would continue to recover and and um, that the blood pressure would get under control and she would feel better and be able to get back out soon and we uh, are grateful Lord for young Mr. Gunner we pray that you would bless him and smile upon him and all of his days and he would walk with you always knowing that uh, you are his Savior, his Lord, and his confidence, and that there would never be a time in which he didn't believe in Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray for him. We pray for his family. Be with us now, Lord, as we jump into Psalm 31. Guide us and lead us in this, Lord, and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to Psalm 31. There was a handout passed around, a little larger print. There's some on the tables somewhere. Um... So let me read Psalm 31. To the choir master, a psalm of David. In you, O Yahweh, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me and rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. And You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Yahweh, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in Yahweh. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction and you have known the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have, you have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also, for my soul is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away because of all my adversaries. I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Yahweh. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. 
O Yahweh, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go down, go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently, insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you, in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be Yahweh, for He has wondrously shown His steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love Yahweh, all you His saints. Yahweh preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for Yahweh. That was Psalm 31. If you need a copy, there's floating around on papers here. Copy of Psalm 31. You can open it up in your Bible. It's a bit of a long psalm. Um, I'm calling this Strength and Courage, and it has to do with the last verse. Strength and Courage. So did you see any patterns, anything that maybe drew you back to a previous psalm, anything within the psalm that stuck out as uh, a theme, a repeated set of themes, any of that? Oh, yeah, kind of that praise, panic, praise, panic, yeah, that up and down. Wow, Christian life is like that, huh? What else? Yeah, several of those. Don't let me be taken to the pit with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very direct. Anybody else? Great. That's how you read the Psalms. You kind of look at it that you, you do look for those patterns and repeats and themes. And that's good to do. So I'm going to break the Psalm down, or it feels like it breaks down this way. Prayer and praise, verse 1 and 8. Perilous predicament, verses 9 through 13. Pointed pleading, verses 14 through 18. And personal yet public, verses 19 through 23. Okay, that's how I'm, I'm titling the breakdown, but that's how the psalm breaks down or breaks out. Okay, you could probably, if you wanted to spend hours on it, you could break it out even more, but that puts it together well. So, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. Anybody ever figured out what that term means? I, I think this is probably right. If you've ever had a cat, you understand the term. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. The whole psalm is building David's case uh, for that final exhortation of verse 23 through 24. Everything seems to be just like a wheelbarrow full of stuff, just moving towards this point. And so keep that in mind, verse 23 and 24. Love, so love Yahweh, all you as saints. Yahweh preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one uh, who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for Yahweh. That's where the whole psalm is going. David is building this case from his own life and his own rehearsal so that way he can draw in all the rest of God's people to do, to do just that, to take refuge in the Lord, to be strong and courageous in Him. Okay, So that's where that's headed. So the cat is out of the bag. There you go.
That cat is not in the bag. If you know cats, that cat really is not in the bag. That was the last second right before it was out completely. Have you ever heard of the Cheshire cat? All right. Yeah, that's a creepy cat. All right, so verses 1 through 8, prayer and praise. If you got the handout or you got your Bibles open there. So notice that most of the language in verses 1 through 17 is very much me language. And so there's a shift that comes until you at verse 18. Okay, so I just want you to kind of see this overall structure. So at verse 18, let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous. And so that's a that's uh, a singular word, but it's referring to you know all of God's people, the righteous. So at this point, at that point in the psalm, it shifts, and you start noticing David is inviting or is, is pointing to the larger um, body. Okay, I don't know how else to put it, but there you go. But you need to see that change because that's where he's headed. That's what he said. So many of the statements in the first eight verses come back around in verses fourteen through eighteen. So I've got, you can't see my Bible, but I, this is great. This is worse than a map, okay? I got little lines as I go through and I see repeats. I don't know if you can see them, but as I'm seeing these repeats, verses 1 through 8, several of the themes come up over in 14 through 18, and I've got these arrowed lines going from here to there, which helps me quite a bit. Write in your Bible, by the way. It's okay, okay? All right, so uh, notice some of the themes. Uh, you get down to verse, uh, look at verse 1. Let me never be put to shame. And how often does it come up in verse 17? The shame theme. Twice, right? Again, he says, let me not be put to shame, but let them be put to shame. The ones who are trying to shame me, let them be put to shame. So shame. Um, You also see uh, verse 5, into your hands I commit my spirit, and you have redeemed me, O Yahweh, faithful God. Um, And so... um, into your hand I commit my spirit. Look at verse 15. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of the evildoers. Right? And then you've got again uh, down in verse 6. Where does verse 6, the last line of verse 6, show up over there in verses 14 to 18? What's the last line of verse 6? Yeah, but I trust in the Lord. Verse 14, but I trust in you, O Yahweh. So see, it comes back again. So anyways, just seeing that that is, uh, those are kind of the anchors in this stormy scene in in Psalm 31. Those are some anchors that keep this psalm uh, tightly woven together, okay? So what are the prayer features in verses 1 through 8? As you look at verses 1 through 8, what are the prayer features? he asking for? What are some of the things he's asking for? Yeah, deliverance. Hear me. By deliverance, what do you mean? I put him on the spot. This is great. I love it. Yes. So look down at the end of verse... Yeah, yeah, that's good. Deliver me. If you look down at verse 4, take me out of the net they have hidden me. They've set traps for me. Take me out of it. So there's the deliverance, right? So you were right. I was just... Yes, looking for details. Okay, what else? What are some other prayer features? 
Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, which is really interesting. Be a rock of refuge, uh, a rock and a refuge for me. You are my rock and refuge, right? So there's nothing wrong with ever praying for things that are already stated, right? That you already know. You already know that God is this. So you can say it, but then turn around and pray for it. So help me to know it. Help me to experience it. Your steadfast love endures forever. I believe it. May it happen, right? There's nothing wrong with that. It's right there, okay? Great. So those are some of the prayer features. You can see quite a few there. What are some of the praise qualities in verses 1 through 8? Because it's very clear he keeps coming back around to praise. Different things of giving thanks to God for. What are some of those? We're in verses 1 through 8 in Psalm 31. Okay? Uh, Wait, 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 wait. I have four voices. Hold on. And Bill Ruiz looking at me weird. So, yes. Berta. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Rejoice in your steadfast love. Caitlin, do you have one? No. Who had one over here? Tina? Same one. Who else had one? I heard another one. Yes. Yeah, you're my rock and fortress, CJ? No, that was it? Okay. So yeah, there's all kinds of praise features here, right? Uh, I rejoice, I will, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. Even though it's a future, it's, there's a praise aspect because he already knows those things about God. And so I will continue, I will do it, and will continue to do it, right? That sense, right? So there's a, pray, this is why I'm calling verses 1 through 8 prayer and praise because... It's all meshed together, the prayer and the praise. So look at verse 5. And then think about Luke. You don't even have to turn to Luke 23, verse 46. You probably know this. What do you hear in verse 5? Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Yahweh, faithful God. Jesus on the cross before He died. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Which is interesting that this psalm, not just Psalm 22, but some part of this psalm was on our Lord's heart and mind as He was dying for the sins of His people. And there at His feet are those who have set a net for Him, who have tried to trap Him. Think about the kangaroo court. Those who are railing against Him, slaughter, slandering Him with their, their words, who are taunting Him. I mean, it's all, Psalm 31 shows up in some words, Jesus is quoting it, but then also in the context of our Lord's crucifixion, okay? It's a very fitting psalm as you think of maybe Good Friday coming up in a few weeks, okay? So, very good. So, verse 6 has some strong language. This gives people, some people the willies. Anybody know what that strong language is, by any chance? Yeah, hate. I hate those. Notice there's no uh, hating the sin but loving the sinner language there. I hate those who regard have regard to worthless idols, okay? And that's strong language, and we don't like that kind of language. I remember uh, seeing in a Presbyterian hymn book, it was an earlier version of the Psalm uh, of the Trinity hymnal. It was the blue, the old blue Trinity hymnal. I remember when they went through uh, Psalm 139. I'm going to show you Psalm 139 here in a minute, a portion of it. They dropped out of the response of reading all the I hate the evildoer language. And that's a problem when we think that we're more righteous than the psalm writers. Okay? You get what I'm saying? Okay. And so, you need to wrestle with that language. There is a reason to hate some people. Okay? There is. But it's not people that you want to hate necessarily, right? It's not just, not your personal enemies. It was Mike Wells who brought that up 
my enemies are not always God's enemies. And you've got to remember that. You've got to. Well, it does go there. Yes, it does. If, if, if he inspired the Psalms, which he did, then that's exactly right. Very good. So here's Psalm 139, verses 19 through 22. David goes in that psalm, a psalm of, that people found great comfort in because it's, it's talking about God's omniscience. He knows me. Am I rising up? Am I lying down? He knows me um, uh, when nobody else can see me. I love using Psalm 139 when I'm uh, with someone who's in a nursing home and feels forgotten. It's very comforting. Okay, it's a very, very powerful psalm. And then right towards the end of the psalm is this. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you. Notice the direction. They speak against you. They speak against the Lord uh, with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Yahweh? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. The point is, is it's not our enemies that this is being referred to per se. This is the Lord's enemies, right? I have enemies, can have enemies that, well, they're not God's enemies, right? And so, just recognizing that and not thinking automatically I should, you know, should despise them. But there are some people that are worthy of hate. I hate, I'm sorry, I have to put it that way. There are some people worthy of hate because of their actions and what they're doing. Maybe someone coming in, undermining the faith, uh, clearly just sabotaging in so many different ways. You pray for them, you pray for their salvation, which would be great because it would change everything. But if they continue, you know, it's pretty strong language. Yeah, yeah. Right. 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 All right, so verses 7 and 8 are very touching to me. So there's actually two portions of this psalm that I'm going to bring up this way that are very touching to me. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is not, I'm not encouraging us to use this all the time, think this way all the time, but I mean, I mean, this is an easy target. Adolf Hitler deserved our hate, for example. I mean, you just, you know what I'm saying? It was horrible. Right? And that's the point, is that it's, it crosses that line in that direction to where it's clear that this is truly God's enemy and the enemy of anything decent. Right? And you're moving in that direction. So it's not... Anyways, that's, that's that point. Yes. 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 God can do a lot of things. Praise the Lord. And that always sits in the back of your head. And you, that's why I'm saying you, you, pray, you do pray. You pray for, for them to be changed. Because then your prayer is answered in a different direction. They've been changed. And now they're no longer God's enemies. Right? And so, yeah, good. So verse 7 and 8 are very touching to me. I will be glad, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because... And what's the because? 
You've seen my affliction. What's the second one? Yeah, you've known the distress of my soul, right? And you've not delivered me to the hand of the enemy. You've set my feet in a broad place. I mean, that's touching. You know. You've seen. Very often we feel like, especially when we're in really dark places, we feel like nobody knows and nobody has seen. And here's David saying, you have seen my affliction. You've known the stress of my soul. Okay? I mean, how could... Could you use those verses for yourself or for someone else going through a difficult time? What a great reminder. I know you've seen my affliction. You know the distress of my soul. What a God who's seen our affliction and knows the distress of our soul. right? And he doesn't shove us away. That's why David, the rest of the psalm is he knows God has not shoved David away. Oh, I can't stand people who have problems. Oh, I'm a God who doesn't want people to have problems. Get away from me, right? He doesn't do that. He's seen my affliction. He knows the distress of my soul. All right, anybody else on um, verses 1 through 8? All right, so verses 9 through 13. So David is now developing what he meant back in verse 7 when he said, my affliction and the distress of my soul, and he's going to catalog it in verses 9 through 13. And just listen to the language here. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am in distress. There's the word distress again. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul, my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing, my strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead, I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side as they scheme together against me and as they plot to take my life. I mean, he's, un, he's developing what he meant by affliction and distress, and, I, and the scene is gut-wrenching. What he's describing, this is how I, I actually have this in my margins. I was reading back through this and thinking about it. I wrote this down. What you see going on in verses 9 through 13 is a physical, social, and emotional breakdown. I mean, listen to that language. He just piles it on. So there's, there's, the, uh, there's the physical and emotional breakdown. He's talking about his body wasting away, his eyes wasting away, probably just starting to, things are fading out because he's under such distress. Um, anybody ever had that happen? Maybe where you, you just start, everything just kind of blacks out or some things get fuzzy, your vision gets fuzzy because you're just, you really are distressed, Right? So there's a physical aspect here, uh, the emotional as well. So his life is spent, uh, years of sighing, strength fails, um, and it just continues on that way. So there's an emotional and physical breakdown, but then there's social. Everybody, it feels like, is against him. They've all turned their backs on him. This sounds like rural America. Oh, wait, I'm, did I say that? <laughs> I remember living in a small town. And when the matriarch of our church turned against us, everybody turned against us. Right? And I've seen that happen before. Right? In other situations, it's just, you really feel that way. I tell you in my book that I'm putting out soon about, and I mentioned it before, I have a, a distant um, cousin who was accused of stealing some money from a woman. And as soon as he was accused, it went in the paper, and everybody in town avoided him. And even though 
he was uh, cleared of the, of, the, uh, uh, of the accusation of the DA and everybody else was like, there's nothing here. Everybody in town still turned against him and turned their backs on him. So bad, so much pressure. He actually has packed up his bags and moved to a dis- another town on the other side of the state who doesn't know anything about him, doesn't know any of those accusations. I mean, this is David feeling like the whole uh, society even feels social, turned against him. So it's an emotional, physical, and social breakdown. And in the midst of it, did you find anything interesting in the middle of it? While all this is going on emotionally, physically, and socially, what do you notice? He confesses sin. Isn't that interesting? He says, um, where is it? Come on. Yeah, yeah, verse 10, my strength fails because of my iniquity. And you go, well, did he bring this on himself or not? Well, it probably has nothing to do with his specific sin. He probably did not do a sin that brought this on him. But when you're going through difficult times, your sins come back up and they haunt you. Right? And maybe he did do a sin involved in that, that uh, in the midst of it, you know, and sometimes we respond to difficult situations sinfully. Sometimes we respond to difficult situations where we're really the victim and we respond sinfully. So whatever he's referring to is something like that, it looks like, okay? It's right in the middle of all that. And so verse 13 is mouthed by the prophet Jeremiah, almost verbatim, and then Jeremiah goes beyond that, goes after that. But verse 13 gets mouthed by Jeremiah And if you know Jeremiah's story, it's very fitting that he would mouth these words. Because um, in that section of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 20, there's about 10 chapters in there where Jeremiah is having a psychological breakdown. I mean, he's done. God, I don't want to be your prophet anymore. You can have this ordination certificate. I am done. I am out of here. It's over. Because, I mean, they're all against me and you won't let me get married and all these other aspects. He's done. He's emotionally crumbling. And so in that, he says this, For I hear many whispering, terrors on every side. Almost a direct quote from Psalm 31, verse 13. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. And that whole section just continues. Okay? So there's this uh, emotional... For, De- for Jeremiah, an emotional breakdown where he draws from Psalm 31 because he finds that it actually gives him words to pray. That's what the psalm, part of what the psalms are for, is giving us words to pray in those situations. So is it any surprise then that as our Lord was being crucified, his mind would come back to Psalm 31? Into your hands I commit my spirit. And in verses uh, 9 through 13, is being played out very much right there at the foot of the cross. Anybody else on verses 9 through 13? We're in Psalm 31. Uh, probably not a malady, but, but the crying and the grief and the stress, and that's why I was talking about the vision getting fuzzy, things like that, you know, but his crying with grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and I mean, all honestly, it could be hyperbole, because when you're in the middle of it, it feels like it's been going on a lifetime, you know. And so, it could very well be literally a lifetime of this, but it just experience with people, it's it could be hyperbole, because it does feel like it's gone on forever, and it's only been six weeks or three weeks or whatever. Yeah. Very good. Okay, so then verses fourteen through eighteen, which draws in verses one through eight. Remember, we looked at that. Draws in verses 1 through 8. So this is what I'm calling pointed pleading. So as we've already noted, yeah, I already said that. So much of a verse 8 is back, 1 through 8 is back. So regarding verse 13, thou art my God. Uh, this is what Charles Spurgeon said about verse 14 when David says, thou art, you are my God. I thought this was really good. So regarding verse 14, thou art my God has more sweetness in it than any other utterance which human speech can frame. Thou art my, you are my God. Whatever else is going on, you are my God. What a very poignant statement. So David's statement of verse 15 leads uh, to his pointed pleading, 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 sorry. My D's turn into T's sometimes. So look what he asked for. Look at verse 15. What is he praying for? Or what is he stating before he prays? Yeah, all my life, all seasons of my life are in your hands. Now think about, you just think through that for a minute. Every aspect of my life is in your hands, right? Even the difficult, yeah. All my life, my life is in your hands, right? And then, so what does he do? What's the very next thing? What's the thing he asks for right after that? If all my life is in your hands, rescue me from the hands of my enemies, right? Which goes, takes us back to verse one, the same thing. Um, they want to lay a hand on me, but I'm in your hands. So deliver me from their hands. And so notice we're back again to the word shame, to the whole thought of shame. He said it back in verse 1. He said, let me never be put to shame. He says it again here in verse 17. O Lord, O Yahweh, let me not be put to shame before I call upon you. Instead, shift it over to the folks who are after me. Look, the wicked experience that shame now shame doesn't strike a nerve with us like it does probably almost in most of the world today and throughout most of history right um a lot of cultures have a shame honor culture right that's the system and so it's hugely important if you're shamed i mean people take their lives in some of those cultures when they're shamed right i mean it's a big deal and uh there was a an asian uh, i think he's chinese or he's in china he, he wouldn't he published a book and he wouldn't put his last name on it. It's a pen name. But he talks about the shame honor culture in Romans from an Asian perspective. And I really, it was really helpful reading through that because we, as Americans, we don't often put much truck, we don't give much truck to shame honor, at least uh, out front, but we still have it. We still struggle with it. We just don't know it, okay? But it's interesting that his whole thing is don't put me to shame. Let them be shamed, right? Yeah, right, right, yeah. In some countries, the honor killings, because it's about shame. That's right. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yes. That would probably be very accurate. 
21st century, yes, absolutely. Very good, okay. So what does he ask, what does he ask in regard to his enemies? Yeah. Shut them up permanently. I mean, that's another way to put it, right? But notice that they're, again, I mean, it's interesting that notice that most of the, we forget this, most of the, most of the damage they're doing is verbal damage. As you go through the psalm, as you go through all these psalms, you will notice how often slander keeps coming up. Most of, many of David's enemies, I think what hurt him the most was that his reputation was being marred, was being slandered by people. Okay, and we, there again, there's another aspect. In North America in 21st century, slander's not a big thing anymore. Right, so we get by with it all the time. It gets, gets you know, we get a free pass if you're on social media or someplace, or in the news or whatever, we can slander all you want. And, and, and nobody is called on the carpet for it. And yet notice that David is saying, this is one of the worst weapons someone can use against me. This is, this is tearing me apart. It's slander. If you've ever been on the receiving end of slander, when there's no sense of vindication, you can feel a little bit what David's referring to there. Okay? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's not, that's not speaking the truth in love. Yeah. Great. Anybody else on those verses? Oh, I got more. Here. So really, starting at the end of verse 18, David is pulling together now the personal... And the public. Oh, I haven't got, sorry. Anybody else? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. Anybody else on, in, on verses 14 through 18? How about verse 16? Wherever David have got that description, make your face shine on your servant, saving your steadfast life. Huh? Moses, and where would he have heard that line? Yeah, and the ironic benediction at the tabernacle. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you peace. Right? And so he hears that often at the temple or at the tabernacle, and here it is. It finds its way in its prayer. One time I, um, I don't remember who it was. It was somebody in Midland. Cindy, you remember the, the family, but the young guy went into the Marines. Don't even talk about it. Okay, so he went in the Marines and he got busted somewhere in AIT or boot camp or something. Ended up in the brig for about a month. And so uh, he was not a member of our church. He'd only come a few times. And and, um, and I was writing him letters. And he would get them. And, and then all communication was cut off. He got kicked out of the Marines after it was over with. But his life changed. It's like he came to a conversion. And he came to me. It was odd. I didn't have to, but he came to the church where, where I was uh, there in Midland. And he came and, and, and said, well, this is what's happened. I've gotten kicked out and everything, but here's what's going on in my life now. And he starts, I'm going, wow, this is great. There's been a real change. And he said, the moment came for him while he was in the brig. He grew up Methodist. And he says, while he was in the brig, all those things those Methodists say in their worship service repeatedly started coming back to him, like the Kyrie Eleison. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, right? And he just, those things from that repeated aspect of the liturgy kept coming back to him while he was there in the brig and he didn't have, you know, he's, he's, he's in a place where he doesn't feel like he can read. I mean, you know, you know how that works when you get in a difficult situation. 
But these words keep coming back to him, coming back. And it brought him around to, uh, to have a change. There was a change. I think it was a real conversion, or at least it seemed like it was. And so I always find that interesting. So here's David quoting from the Benedict, the, the Benediction, the ironic Benediction. Right? Your face shine on me. All right, anybody else? Yes. Let's take let's take him out. Let's dispatch him. Yeah. <laughs> mhm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great story. Yeah, that's a great scene. All right. So now we're going to move to nineteen through twenty-three. Okay. In earnest, we are. So starting at verse nineteen, David starts putting together the personal and the public. And so I already gave you the indication as we looked at it at the beginning, but the, the language, he starts, uh, he's talking about the corporate body of God's people when he says, uh, lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. So it's a, it's a broad term, the righteous is not just, you know, this righteous one, but it's the righteous. So now he's starting to move to a public or corporate aspect of his prayer and all the way to the end of this psalm, he will stay with that, Okay. So God's abundant, uh, not tight-fisted, but abundant goodness. Notice how he puts it, it's stored up. So look at verse, um, verse 19. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those you, who fear you. But then the next line, and work for those who take refuge in you. So God's abundant goodness is stored up, but it is also worked for. It's worked out. It actually works for his people's abundant goodness. Um, so think of Paul's prayers. Those of you who've been in Sunday evening, as we learn walking through Paul's prayers, praying with Paul, Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians 1, Paul's praying, and he says that they would know, come to know, the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened to know the immeasurable greatness of his power that works toward those who believe is the immeasurable greatness of his power that works toward those who believe right it's the same thing here this abundant goodness that's for you it's for god's people and he works for them okay and the same thing when you get to ephesians 3 so who is being hidden how are they being hidden and what are they being hidden from in verse 20 so who's being hidden Yeah, those who trust Him. The righteous, verse 18, um, and uh, the chil- uh, um, yeah, and the, those for whom He is now praise, praise, praying who, uh, who have taken refuge in Him, right? Very good. So that's who He's, he's praying will be covered. So notice how He's moving from personal to public. Uh, in the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men, and you store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. And so, uh, how, how is he praying that they would be hidden? Or how is he stating they would be hidden? Yeah, that's the what, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, in the cover of his presence. So, you know, that covering over, right? And so, um, um, you, you think about movies, I mean, where gunfire is going on and somebody jumps on a kid and just covers them over, right? And you go through some of these uh, previous active shooters and there's, a, there's been on a couple of them, there's been a teacher or, or an older student who actually did just that. They covered over them and they took the bullet for them, right? That same kind of picture. Cover them over, right? And then the store-up language. You store them in your shelter. Well, that's great because verse 19, you've stored up uh, your abundant goodness for those who fear you. So it's great being stored up by God in, who stores up His abundant goodness, right? So that's another way He's done it, okay? How does it feel to be stored up? All right. So, uh, so this is where uh, Bob was mentioning. So, from what then are they being hidden? Yeah, strife of tongues, plots of men. Okay, the schemes and plots. Very good. So Wes would be sitting next to me in the library in here, and I would was reading through the psalm several times and I get to verse 20 and I and just it was just great in the cover of your presence you hide them from the plots of men you store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues and he started shaking no this is a great it's a great line store them from the shelter uh, from the strife of tongues okay so again verse 22 is very touching you know, after he's talked about, he's praising the Lord, blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love when I was in a besieged city. So he tells you when he saw God's steadfast love being shown, when I was in a besieged city. And you think about David's life, you know there's at least a couple of times he was in a besieged city. Right? One time he, he prays, Lord, if, will these people that I've delivered, that I'm in the city with now, will they turn me over to Saul? Yes. Get out of there. So he leaves, right? So he's been in a besieged city more than once. So notice how he puts it. That the Lord has wondrously shown His steadfast love when I was in a besieged city. And while He was in a besieged city, what did He say in His alarm? I am cut off from your sight. I mean, that's very human. Right? We're back to that again where when you're going through it, it does feel like many times, I mean, I've sat with people, it feels like God has cut them off from their sight. But notice then the touching part is at the end of the verse. But, pay attention to your grammar. But, I said in my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight. But, you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried for you, to you for help. I think it's another verse that you may need to use with yourself at times and you can use with others as well, just reminding them. You may feel like you're cut off from God's presence. I get it. But, He hears you anyway. No matter how you feel about it. Well, let me get up. So where does the psalm conclude and what does David want? Where does the psalm conclude and what does David want? Yeah. 
Yes, verse 23 and 24. That's where it concludes, right? The concluding verses is where the psalm concludes. And that's what he wants. He wants all of those who've been using this psalm, who've been singing this psalm, who've, who've been reciting the psalm to love the Lord and to trust Him, right? And to have confidence in Him. Love Yahweh, all you His saints. Yahweh preserves the faithful. He's been giving you a case of 22 verses, why he can say, verse 23. And then he wants you to go further. Um, he, he does also, by the way, um, talk about the reality, those who act in pride, but he abundantly repays uh, uh, the one who acts in pride. So the Lord makes a distinction. You can trust him. He knows. He knows if you, know, if you are being unjustly slandered or, or whatever the case is, he knows. That's great news. And then so then he ends with verse 24. Be strong. Let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. It's a great, great two verses. And that's where he concludes, and that's what he wants us to do. Love the Lord, draw close to him, and trust him. And so I ask you, does, he, does it look like David maybe has made his case for verse 23 and 24? As you read through Psalm 31, does it look like David has made his case to say what he says in verse 23 and 24. Thank you. All right. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, right. And just like we were when we were kids, we still don't listen. If I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times. So I ask you, do you, no matter how dark or how dismal or how depressing your circumstances, do you, number one, love the Lord? Number two, do you find strength and courage in the Lord? And number three, do you wait for the Lord? Like a server waits on, on their customers, you know, when you're waiting, when they're waiting, right? Do you wait on the Lord? No matter how dark or dismal the things may be, do you do those things? Fred. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So as we make ready to enter into God's presence because of God's Son and by the power of God's Spirit, I invite you with David's injunction. Love the Lord, all you His saints, the Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the, your abundant goodness that you store up for your people. And then you work out for your people. Your, the immeasurable greatness of your power that, that you work toward us who believe. We thank you for David's words here and how they remind us and how they keep drawing us back. And like Brandon said, we just don't listen so often. And yet you patiently, like a good father, 
keep saying it over and over and over again. Lord, may we take it to heart. And this very, this very morning, as we enter into your assembly, we, we come embracing David's injunction that we would love you that, uh, because you're the one who preserves us and you're faithful and you abundantly repay the one who acts in pride. And so may we come be strengthened to have our hearts take courage as we wait for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.